I didn't know who he was. I should have done, as I am supposedly a music journalist and do write for magazines, but I didn't. I do now. It was a hole in my musical knowledge. I agree. I understand that. I take that on the chin. Now I know who Andy Allador is because I've heard his latest album. That's called Light of Love. It's a double and it's great. So I was delighted to speak to the gentleman and what a lovely bloke he was and is. Here's how it went. Um, <laughs> it is great to chat with you because um, we we came about through a, a, an interesting way. You know, I think I think in the first did I did I reach out to you or did you reach out to me via Twitter and and we. You know, I probably you know when I um, when the album came out, I hired someone to do promotion. Oh, and. What's that? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And and so one of so one of the things that he does is he reaches out to people um, via Twitter. So that's probably how is you've got a uh, message from me via Twitter saying hello. You don't know me. I'm a hole in the wall, but I have a new record, and I hope you don't mind me saying hello to you. And apparently you didn't mind. Thank, thank you for that. And um, and then you posted your, uh, you said, oh, I did my, um, you know, your two minute review or whatever Ooh. it was, which I I loved. I thought it was fantastic. Well, thank you. Um, so that's how that's how it it started. Yeah. Well, uh, yes. I mean, that's and a lot of people do do reach out to me, and you know, I I listen to everything that people reach out to me with. But this really struck me, and and one of the one of the things that did, I love the music as well, and I love the combination of that. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But one of the things that struck me was it's it's a it's a big set. This it's a double album set, really. It's eighteen tracks. So you know, I was quite struck by the ballsiness of that because nobody does that these days. These days, it's all it's all playlists, isn't it? And I I thought that was great. You well, you're 100 percent right. It's very funny. I didn't even really think about it that way because I'm so like dyed in the wool, old school, <laughs> yeah. that people put out one song and then that's it for a Ooh. long time. And um, you know, like I'm from d Double Albumville. You know, yeah. like when I was young, and um, I don't know. I think one of the first double albums was uh, Frank Zappa's first album, Freak oh, Out. So yeah. you want to talk about Ballsy, <laughs> yes. you know, his first record that he puts out is a double album. He starts with a double. And that was 1966. I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, I could tell you that a friend of mine, I was in sixth grade, and um, we had a little dance, a sixth grade dance. I'm only telling you this because, Steve, I think I know you well enough that you'll find this entertaining. Sure. And, so the sixth grade dance in 1966, you know, kids were playing, believe it or not, like James Brown, maybe Papa's Got a Brand New Bag was nice. out by then or something. And, um, but my friend, uh, who, you know, uh, became a lifelong friend, bro 
freak out to the sixth grade dance <laughs> and puts it on and we were the he and I were the only people that liked it, yes. you know, like Wowie Jowie and Electric Aunt Jemima. And um, we were like, This is great. And all the other kids were like, Yeah, like, turn this off. This is horrible. <laughs> yes. And then everything about it, you know, like Susie Cream Cheese, what's got into you? Like, we're tan and we are very attracted to uh, the. Um, uh, rapidly shifting socio-political yes. uh, uh, um, terrain that uh, was 1966. So anyway, and then I should mention, same year, my sister, who's two years older, came home with Blonde on Blonde, oh. um, Bob Dylan, which is a double album. Yep. And at 10 years old, I was obsessed with Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, which was the whole side. So anyway, on a certain level, a double album is not, uh, it's just very welcome, you know, to, in my mind, it's like, yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Um, but I mean, my favorites, I have so many favorite double albums. I, absolutely. And I, I should say at this juncture, we're talking about your new album, Light of Love, which is doing very well, it seems. So people do like d double albums. It seems people do like a lot of music. I think you tweeted me something recently, which is impressive. Dude, I mean, it's jumping up in massive chunks. Great. I was at 34 something yesterday, 34,000 streams. And now I'm at 36,500 streams today since That's yesterday. Right. So if I go to, let's see, last 24 hours, um, yeah, it went up 2,000. Fantastic. More than 2,000, 2,200 in 24 hours. Just great. I mean, the, the thing That's is... Like a, it's blowing my mind, yeah, Steve. Yeah. It's blowing my mind. I presume you never expected that. I well, you know, I, I no, I did not expect it. I didn't know what to expect. Ooh. I certainly didn't expect this. Um, right out of the gate, the title track "Light of Love" um, did well, and then the second track that we pushed, and the way it works with the, you know, this is why you hire somebody to to do these things for Ooh. you because they know. Like, it's all about Spotify, which is streaming. And sure. streams, most people in this, you know, modern world are on Spotify and they're streaming. And so you have to forget about whether you're ever going to get make, you know, a tenth of a sure. penny off of it. Sure. it and, and I spent a lot of money, as you can imagine, not just in making the record, but spent a certain amount of money on promotion. Yeah. And... Someone asked me, what's your end game here? I think uh, the point of their question was, what's, the, what's your end game in spending all this money? Um, like the intimation being, you expect to make the money back from yeah. sales, etc. And so I said, my end game is I want as many people as possible to hear this music. That's the most important thing to me of all. Yeah. If I make any money back from it, well, yeah, that would be terrific. But 
I don't know. It's silly for me to uh, anticipate or expect or be disappointed if I don't make back the amount of money I spent to put this music out in the world. Because you know what, Steve? I'm not 25. I know it's hard to tell from looking at me. Uh, (laughs) 2,500. But at this juncture... Uh, the most important thing is, is is for the music to exist in the world. Absolutely. You know, like if it exists in my room, I mean, that's not as uh, fulfilling yeah. as an artist. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so now that it, so then the decision is, okay, you want it to exist in the world, and what's the best way for it to, uh, you know, spread, to uh, permeate, into the world in a way that the most people will hear it. And it seems, you know, you get somebody uh, like Johnny Wax, uh, the perfect record company, record guy name. That's his real name, Johnny Wax, W-A-X. And Johnny Wax is the guy who's doing all this stuff. And so right away, I mean, it's it's been out for um, Friday, three days ago, was a month. Okay. So three, four days ago, it was one month. And I've been averaging a thousand streams a day, every day for a month. That's good. Which is fantastic. And then on Friday, no, Saturday, I'm confused now. Either Friday or Saturday, we released the third song, Uh single, whatever, which is Save Something for Me. And in 24 hours, Save Something for Me was streamed 3,000 times. That one song. And that's a song that I've been hearing, like Joe Satriani, who I've been friends with for over 30 years, a great guy, and known for being, you know, a shredder guy, play a million miles an hour. And I have songs on this double album that are more about fancy guitar playing and playing fast and all that stuff and rock, you know, heavier rock. He texted me and he says... Call Me Crazy, my favorite song is Save Something For Me. That is a perfect song. That's what he wrote. Right. And so um, the longest answer to your question imaginable is, uh, and then Andy Timmons is another you know, like Shredder guy. Yeah. And same thing. He said, my favorite song, Save Something For Me. Right. So now that we put that out, and it was the third one, so I could... Um, uh, you know, judge it uh, against, you know, um, the way the other two songs did, which did well. Save Something For Me is just flying. You know, it did 3,000 the first day, and it did, I think, 1,700 the next day, 1,700 oh, the next that's day. Great. That's so, great. So people are hearing it. And you, and then I get to meet you. Yeah, yes, <laughs> which is, of course, the highlight. <laughs> but this... It's been the highlight of all of it. <laughs> But this, you know, the, the album sounds a re- like a really special album because it's it's a double album which allows you to get right into the music, so but it allows you to get right into the atmosphere of the whole thing. And it takes you up and down, which is great. It's beautifully sequenced in that way. And I think that it has a really warm feeling and a personal, you know, I can kind of feel what you're, you know, I can feel that, how, how to say this, I can feel that, you know, it's your own personal thing that you're giving to us because once you give it to us, it becomes ours, doesn't it? Even though it's still right. yours. But I can feel that 
um, personal feeling in there. And, and it, 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 it feels to me as though it's music that you had and wanted to get out there. I presume that's, that's the case. It feels that way listening to it. Well, if it feels that way, that's really amazing, you know, that that actually gets communicated, yeah. like sort of that part of the music is this desire to uh, speak to the listener, you know, um, what's better than that, you know, yeah. like yeah. for the listener to feel like, um, you know, this person has created this music and it's inviting, I guess, yeah. I guess that's what it is. In some way, the music is inviting and and there is something personal about it. So, um, you know, Steve, like, uh, it's sort of funny because um, as a guitar, like in all musicians, you know, we learn by studying different musicians and copying the way they play. Mm -hmm. And and you try to build up your vocabulary. Yeah. Um, for me, it started with the Beatles. So the first thing was, okay, like those guys write songs. And like, you want some good teachers, you know, yes. instructors on how to write a song. The Beatles aren't too bad. <laughs> yes. And melodies, chords, lyrics, song structure, sounds. I mean, we know this, right? On every uh, platform and every uh, part of what it is to make a record. And then there's the other element of it, which has to do with pop. Like, what is pop? I love Ginger Baker would always say, the thing with Cream was we thought of ourselves as a pop group. Yeah. Yes. And we didn't think of ourselves as like this experimental guys jamming for 10 hours. And, but he said it in a typical Ginger Baker, like really aggressive way. Sure. You know, he's like, we went out there, I was like, cop this. You know, uh, we were a pop group. Like, we're going to, that's the level we're on. We're yeah. on pop. We yeah. want the world to fall in love with this music. And they succeeded. Absolutely. In some very bizarre, you know, distinct, unusual music. So, um, so I have the same thing, you know, or there's that famous Pete Townsend quote where he says, you know, the three-minute pop song is this thing. It's like a, you know, it should be revered as a vehicle. You know, if you are a musician, you need to write for that vehicle. You yeah. know, like you can't question that art form. It can't be questioned. Absolutely. The three-minute pop song is a thing. And I love how Pete, you know, he's very intellectual about stuff. Um I don't know if you know this story. Um, you know, they were the Who, and then they got a new manager and changed the name to the High Numbers, and yes. they were the Detours for yep. five minutes. And then as the High Numbers, they put out this single called I'm the Face, yep. which basically um, got love if you want it. You know, this old blues song that was just to change the lyrics, because in England at the time, you know all this when you're a mod and being a face, and that's why sure. the small faces are called the small faces. Yes. You know, it was like the hot person of the moment was a face. And anyway, the single flopped miserably and they fired the guy and went back to being the who. And Pete, who's very smart, loved the kinks. Yeah. And he said, I want Shell Talmy, 
who produces the Kinks, to produce us, I'll write a song that sounds like the Kinks. So he wrote Can't Explain. Yes, it does sound just like him. Yeah. He wrote, but I love how it was all so intellectual. He, he said, I'm going to write a perfect two and a half minute pop song that's just like the Kinks. So this one guy will hear it and go, I love them and I want to produce them. <laughs> yes. and, it, and it worked. Yes. Yeah. So along with loving, crazy, experimental improvisation that goes on for 10 hours, you know, personally, whether it's Jimi Hendrix or Arnett Coleman or mm-hmm. John Coltrane, um, there is an attraction to sort of uh, presenting to the listener this little, like, beautiful thing you've yeah. created yeah. and hand it to them and go, here's this little box, this little thing to go in, and it's nice to be in there for mm-hmm. A few minutes. And um, anyway, so that was the goal with every song. Create this environment that feels good to be in. And, and you do that. That that works because, you know, from, from I mean, even the artwork, which is, you know, the sunrise um, or sunset, um, which is, you know, beautiful golds and all that kind of stuff through the, through the branches of the trees, all that kind of stuff. Really, that kind of brings you in as well. But it's a nice... It's a nice feeling to be in there and it, it feels organic because it feels that it doesn't feel like you're trying to do anything. It feels like you're just, as you say, presenting your music to us, which is music that no, has come from you. And, you know, you've been doing this for many, many years. You know, you've been in the music business for many years. So all of that kind of that it does feel as though you're steeped in that. I mean, I kind of reverse engineered it because I didn't know of you so I listened to the, the the music. Thought this is great, and then thought, "Who is this then?" So you know, you know. So so then thought, "Oh, now I see why that how why I feel that way." But you know, you, you you're really in this, and you've been doing this for many years. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, in a way, um, uh, a good it served me well that there were no. Um, ulterior motives at all uh, other than you know write a good song try to and then you know make a nice recording and have the instrument sound good and just you know make a nice record and have it be nice and not have it be anything other than for me to feel good about it that it reflects me so you know I don't care about the world and where the world is at and and What's interesting, though, Steve, is that, you know, like the song Light of Love, I wrote in like 96 or 7. Okay. And then this recording was done in 2003, which is almost 20 years ago. And um, and when you look at the 18 songs overall, some of the songs go back to 1994, which at this point is 28 years ago. Oh. Um, but... I put a record out in 1999 called Put a Stock in It that was mostly originals, but it was a bluesier, had some blues covers, and it was a, more of a blues trio sort of a record. Yeah. And at that time, you know, I sent it. There were record companies in 1999. You know, the world was different. Yes. And I couldn't help but sort of uh, be thinking, oh, you know, what you're supposed to do 
is get this to record companies and try to get them interested. In 1999, this style of music, the style of music you hear on Light of Love, like couldn't have been more out of vogue. Sure. And so, yeah. Um, I didn't get, not only did, did I not get interest, the uh, feedback I got was, well, this music is not like what's going on now. It's like, maybe you should listen to the radio. You know, I, that kind of pissed me off. Okay, yeah, absolutely. But now, all these years later, and some of these songs are, are old, this style of music, because of the what's gone on in music in the last five years, with a combination of the uh, do-it-yourself thing, because record companies don't exist anymore, um, and somebody like you know Billie Eilish, who she just she did it her way with yep. her brother Phineas, and then they were like massively successful because she sounds. You, you listen to Billie Eilish, she sounds unique. She yes. sounds sounds cool. And and I think you whether you like it or not, um, I think it's sincere. I think her music is sincere and you hear sincerity in her music. So uh the world seems to be more accepting right now in twenty twenty two of that. You know, somebody like Chris Stapleton you know, five, six, seven years ago, oh. he was just writing songs for other people. Sure. People who would do their more produced Nashville, you know, Luke Bryan version of the song. But then Chris started to do, well, here's the way I would do it, oh. you know, because uh, I'm me. Yeah. And the world went, oh, we like that even more. <laughs> yes. Because you're so unapologetically you. That's even better. Like, there's more to grab onto there. It's Absolutely. not, you know, about some of the reviews that I got for the record were interesting. Where a couple of guys, like there was a melody maker one, and the guy said that he, what he liked about the song "Out for a Ride" was you could hear the country influence and the rock influence and the blues influence, but there was no. Um, effort to bend it towards where country music is today yes at all absolutely and i wouldn't even i wouldn't know how to do that and believe me it's the last thing i ever want to do i know absolutely but, <laughs> but you, go on yeah no, no i was just going to say i don't think chris stapleton does that so much either i mean maybe now a little bit more than he did before but um you know i mean we, our understanding of the world is is uh, formed by the world that we were born into and grew up in, you know, and so the world that of music that existed in, you know, I mean, I remember seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan when I was seven years old, and so right away, you know, I mean, I tell, say this to people, and then I promise I'll stop talking, you know. <laughs> People's record collections in 1970, you know, you'd have the Beatles, Stones, um, The Doors, Jethro Tull, Cat Stevens, King Crimson, oh. um, uh, Van Morrison, Carol King, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, James Taylor. Um, you would never confuse 
any of those artists for each other. No, absolutely. Ever. Yeah. But they were all just pop music. That's Abs what you heard you turn on the radio. Yeah, absolutely. The Doors would be followed by uh, Jethro Tull, would be followed by James Taylor, be followed by the Rolling Stones. But they were all the... Yeah. That's what music was. You I, know, I, like so... Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you entirely. And I think that one of the things about this album, and I, I understand what you mean about bending music, because what this, what the album sounds like is, these are songs that I write, and these are my influences, and this is the way they've come out, which is, you know, the word authenticity has been ruined by people who want, in inverted commas, authenticity. You need to be authentic. But real authenticity, or, or authenticity you hear, is something very special. What you've also got on this this collection of songs, which I keep saying is a double album because it feels like that to me. And one of those reasons is because I think that kind of 1970s singer-songwriter kind of thing, which is, here's a collection of different kinds of songs which don't need to have an overarching reason. The overarching reason yeah. is that my name is here and I've done these songs. So one will follow the other. And, you know, they're different kinds of songs. And we could do that. I, mean, I grew up in the 70s. And... and that was accepted and loved. And I think that's kind of coming back, you know, in that people can yeah, do different kinds. And this sounds, you know, very much like that in that it's warm and there are different kinds of music. And, um, you know, they're, they're broadly of, of a similar kind of musical um, musical palette, but they're different. So, you know, I like I like being able to get right in the middle of that and being taken to other places, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Because I knew it would be a double, um, the sequencing was very, very important, you know, because it was a double and because there was a lot of, as we're saying, songs that are, are different, um, uh, some songs very different from each other. Um, uh, you know, as you know, I've been a writer and an editor for Guitar World magazine for close to 30 years. And then for 10 years before that, I was at another magazine called Guitar for the Practicing Musician. So it's been 37 years in doing that kind of stuff. Right. And the guy that was editor-in-chief of Guitar World for 30 years was a guy named Brad Talinsky, who's a very good friend of mine. So I was sending Brad songs. And, you know, I would send him out for a ride, and then I'd send him Wyatt's tune, which is solo acoustic guitar. And then I'd send him Land of the Freaks. And then buried Somerville, and then Space Dog, and he kept saying, "You know, every song is like a left turn from the mm. song that you just sent." And he said, "Your listeners are going to get whiplash." You know, he felt it was too. I bet he was hearing them just in this sort of sure. like, you know, "Here's a song, here's a song." And so, uh, myself and and my engineer producer who's very close friend of mine a guy named bob stander who um did an incredible job i mean i think the record sounds beautiful oh, it does so warm and very warm and i mean he has a uh it's a home studio in his basement but he has a hundred and ten thousand dollar api board nice. uh, in his basement and Bob is a guy who's an amazing musician, incredible guitar player, and we've been friends since 1977 uh, for 45 years. And um, so finally to go to his studio, you know, <laughs> and work on this 
with him was really terrific because he's right. this person I've known like since he was 19 and I was 21. And so we both talked about the sequencing. You know, the thing is you want every, each song to be in and of itself, this little perfect world as much sure. as it can be. But then we have to go, boom, 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 boom. How are we going to travel? And then, because there's two discs, I wanted each one to be able to stand on its own as a good record. Like, if you only had one, is it a good record yeah. on its own? So each one needed to accomplish that in whatever way it would do that. Take the listener on a nice journey from Absolutely. first song to last song yeah. on its own. And then the better thing would be both as a whole, double the trip, it would still work. Yeah. So my my template, and I said this to Bob early on, and then he agreed with me, because we're the same age and we have so many of the same influences and you know um, sensibilities, musical sensibilities. I said the White Album, is, the Beatles' White Album, is a great template because the way they sequence the White Album is so perfect. Um, to me, I can't even imagine it being sequenced any other way because you have songs like Helter Skelter, but then you have songs like Julia, yep. and you have While My Guitar Gently Weeps, and you have Cry Baby Cry and Sexy Sadie, and then you have Bungalow Bill, and uh, you have Revolution Number no. 9. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's insane what the White Album is. It's really nuts. And and long, 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 you know, um, uh, Obla Di, Obla Da, you know. It's just beautiful, Martha, my dear. Like, it's beautifully done. Yeah. It just takes you on this journey. You love every second of it, right? Other than the people who don't like the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and there we know there's something wrong with them anyway um so so it was a good thing to have in mind like the white album is a great example of taking the listener through these different dear prudence you know Ooh. these different places each place is a nice place as yeah. soon as you're in it as soon as you're in it you want to be in it and then the second the next one starts you're glad you're in the new one yes so, so that's what we were going for. And it really worked. To make it work. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All of that, the kind of rolling of it is really, and taking you up and down. And you, there's always a feel that you're in, that you're in, that you're, as you say, you're in a nice place, you're in safe hands, you know, and it feels warm, feels nice. The whole thing feels good. And, you know, I think we are coming back to that, but this is a good example of, of, of that, which, which I've not heard for a long time. So that's really successful. Wow. Oh, that's so great, Steve. I'm so glad you dig it. it absolutely, no, it's great. It's really good. I'm going to end the conversation a bit because I, I want people to be able to listen to this in a, you know, a tight kind of half hour period. I don't want them to think, oh, it's an hour. <laughs> because that, that sometimes happens on podcasts. So, But it, it it's a great piece of work. You, you, I mean, you, you must be, how are you feeling going forward now? Are you thinking, well, I've got to do something more with this. Or are you thinking, that's great. I'm just going to, th these are my songs and people dig them, as you say, and that's great. And that's, that'll just continue. How are you feeling about it all? 
Uh, well, the first thing is, you know, it's, it's still very new. The album's been out for a month. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't think I'll, um, you know, it, with, with each day that passes, I get more, uh, I'm able to uh, gauge better um, people's reaction to the individual songs. Um, and, you know, it's a common, it's, it's two things, you know, they're, I try to listen as objectively as possible. Like I pretend it's not me, you know, it's just yes. some song, Yeah. you know, and it's good. And so we did a record release party last night at a record store and it went great. It was phenomenal. It was a great turnout. Mm. And, and as soon as we were like, we did a interview Q and a me and the store owner, and then the band played seven tunes and then we were packing up and he put the record back on and the song cool water came on and i'm just listening to it like it's not me and i'm thinking this is a really nice song yes. <laughs> it yes. sounds really good um so there's that but it can't be denied that you know like a song like very somerville goes back to 1994 yeah and Space Dog is from 97, and Wyatt's tune, which I wrote for my son, is from 97. And, and we should mention the song Have Mercy on Me is with Double Trouble. Um, I recorded the basics for that in oh. around 2003 with Chris Slayton and Tommy Shannon, the guys who played with Steve Ray Vaughan. Yeah. And I had gone to Austin to do a recording session with them. And then uh, at the end, the engineer said, well, you guys are done. There's a half hour of studio time left, though, that's already paid for. So I just looked at them and I said, can we record one of my songs? Yes. And they said, yeah, show it to us. And Steve, literally in like one minute, I just said, this is how it goes. And then we played it once. <laughs> yeah. And then we went in the control room to listen. And Tommy Shannon had his bass. And he said, there's like two or three spots I didn't really play like exactly the right thing. Let's just punch in, fix those spots. Like 15 minutes. Great. So it's extremely <laughs> live. It's like 98% yeah. live, one take, first time, first take, done. I carried it around, you know, for 18 years. And then a few months ago when I, you know, I mean, all these years I wrote 20 different versions of lyrics for this song. Um, knowing that it was called Have Mercy On Me and what the, you know, the, what was happening to the protagonist yes. in the song. Very typical blues, you know. My life sucks, it's falling apart. Yes, you know? yeah. <laughs> God, help me. <laughs> if anybody's out there, are you listening? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'm dying down here. And, uh, and so a few months ago, finally finished the lyrics, and I wanted to add lead guitar and lead vocal live just the way the track was. Ooh. You know what I mean? Like you hit record and you just go. You yeah. sing and play and five and a half minutes later it's over. So live performance. So the trip, you're what you're capturing is this journey being traveled just like a, it's a live performance when you see someone live or listen to a live thing. So we did. And there was a few spots where I forgot how to play, and my guitar playing was terrible. And so we fixed those spots. But it's about 85, 87% of what really happened. Right. You know, yeah. like I played, what I played at the two minute and 10 second point 
was because of what I played at the two minute and five second point. Sure. You know, yeah. It all followed. And we end up with this extremely live track. And so Joe Bonamassa, who's a guy who's become a very good friend. Yeah. His, his uh, text to me when he heard the song, as he said, he said, it's killer. He goes, you really captured that live thing in the studio, which is so hard to do. So it feels too. completely live. And Joe Perry, as we now are in the name dropping part of the program, <laughs> uh, who, from Aerosmith, who's also become a very good friend and is a wonderful guy, he said to me, "This is the best singing and guitar playing I've heard in a long, long time." Right. He loved it. So, with the, at the risk of going too long, which I don't want to do, I want to ask you if there are any particular songs that stand out to you, or that you would want to ask me about like you could edit out everything else yeah yeah no absolutely well things like lost and lonely um i mean i, I love wyatt's tune but I, you know you, I, I know why you know but but light of love is is an extraordinary song because it really it hits you but it kind of cossets you as well so you know you feel i feel this sounds a bit odd i feel caressed by it but and uplifted by it you know it, it's it's it, it's it's yeah. It, you know, it, it has to do because there's so much music out there that, that, that the first song has to do has to either kick the doors in and, and take you by the throat and say, here I am. Or it has to say, just listen to this because yeah. I'm just going to I'm just going to come in the, another way. And that's what this does. That's what that track does. It just says, I'm just going to I'm just going to just just sit down and listen to this for a minute. And um, it, it's great. It, it, that's a, that's the a test of a great song, isn't it? You know, those two things for me, either I kick the doors in and say, I'm here and that's great. Or I say, just just give me one. Just give me a couple of seconds. Now you're mine. So, you know, th that particular song is is something that that because I think if that hadn't done that, I might have said, I'll listen to this album, but it won't. I'll be thinking that's OK. But because I, I came in and thought, oh, what's this? You know, so um, that's really that, that's a really important song on the album. Well, that's why it's the title track. You know, early on, I had, you know, this photo on the cover is a sunset. It's lovely. And I, and I took it from my kitchen window. Oh, really? And um, all the pictures are, I, I did the art and took all the pictures. There's a, there's a portrait photo, portrait type photo of me inside that was taken by a woman named Allison Hasback from True Fire is a company I do a lot of instructional stuff for. Yeah. And I have to admit, the only reason I put a picture, like a portrait picture of myself in on this record on the inside is because when I put put a sock in it out, um, there's a picture of me on the cover, but it's from far away and you can barely see me. And yeah. Joe Satriani said to me, what's the matter? Like, don't you want people to see you? Like, he broke my balls about it. <laughs> yes. then, you know, he's like, we need, we need to see you. Okay. He was like my... My old Italian uncle. <laughs> and we have a picture of you. And so when I sent, he, he actually bought one. Like he sent me money and he said, please send me a CD. And so when I, I wrote him a note on the front and then I opened the inside and I circled the picture of myself <laughs> with an arrow. I said, I did this because you told me to do it. <laughs> but all the other pictures are taken by me. The inside, as you know, are these beautiful beach Ooh. um water and the beach and the sun and um 
I don't know, Steve, you know, um, there's something, I, you know, I studied art, I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts, I went to School of Visual Arts, art was always first for me before music took Ooh. over, and uh, one of my teachers was a, a woman named Louise Bourgeois, who's a very famous sculptor, Louise was this old French woman who was friends with uh, Marcel Duchamp yeah. and Man Ray. Like, yeah. you know, it's in, or it's pretty nuts. You know? yeah, so yeah. he was 73 when I, when she was my teacher in 1973, it's almost 50 years ago. Um, but I mean, she was old then. So she's talking about the thirties in Paris and these were like her buddies. Ooh. And she said one day, she said, um, there is no art that will ever surpass nature. Nature on its own is more beautiful than any yeah. art could ever be. Absolutely. And so I think part of her point was in an innate way, you know, we're human beings, we're creatures of this earth. We are part of nature, you know, like we can't remove our, we just because we can observe nature doesn't mean we're not part of nature. Sure. Like, everything else we are and so um so in that way when you see a beautiful sunset i mean it doesn't matter how many beautiful sunsets you see whenever you see a new one you go oh man like, i can't believe like absolutely there's something really uh, a, an affirmation of the beauty of life that's unquestionable like with it's just immediate you go Oh God! Like yeah, being on this planet isn't so bad. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, it, it's a shorthand. It's a semiotic shorthand that makes it's new for you every day. Every time you see it, so you know semiotically, it's, it's a it wonderful says, confirmation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I knew once I took that picture that it was going to be the cover of the album, and then I was going to call the album "Light of Love," and then the song "Light of Love." came out of some very, very difficult times in, you know, my personal relationships. Yeah. And that's why the first verse is there you are and there you go. And what's in your heart, I wish I could know. Do you want the same things as me? Love of life and a soul running free. Um, daylight's here and daylight's gone. Uh, in the dark, a sad and lonesome song. Where's the light to brighten up my day? Which is a person. Yes. Not yeah. the Broken hearts long for love always. But then, you know, because I'm an optimist, the third verse, there we are and there we go, shine a light and your love will surely grow. Uh, two are one and one are we, unlock your heart, love is the key. Right, so, yeah. I can't help it, Steve. I have to put a positive twist. Absolutely. You know, Nothing wrong with like, that. And lost and lonely... You know, is the same thing. You know, the, the song is called Lost and Lonely. You know, you've been waiting for so long. I know uh, uh, lost and lonely for so long. Um, in need of sunlight, high on a uh, shelf, a life of emptiness, no love in this world. I mean, it's about as dark and dismal as you're going to get. But in the second pre-chorus, I say... Um, um, the empty hours alone in your room, but in a moment I can lift you up uh, from this gloom. Yeah. So it's got to have that to, for me. Yes, 
know, it's just, a, it's like a suggestion. Like, okay, like I'll accept that all this darkness and heaviness is valid. But let, can I at least suggest that that's, save something for me is the same. Yeah. It's just like a suggestion of, yeah, but, you know, I, we I, could be entering into this other place that feels pretty good. Yeah, and you see, that that, that comes across with the, I, I wanna, with the music. I'm going to um, tie it up in a minute, but that comes across with the music because of the warmth of all of that. So there is a feeling that, you know, from the cover as well, which is so warm, and then, you know, and the music feels warm that it feels like you're like you're kind of pulling a chair up, you know, and saying, well, we can be together and we can, you know, have a yeah. have a good chat here and have a good time. So it does feel that way. It is an affirmation. It's uh, it's, yeah. it's it's lovely and it's good to spend time with. And that's really important, I think. Well, Steve, I'm so happy, you know, that you feel this way about it. Uh, I mean, uh when you play music and create music, um, I mean, I always felt like, and the same thing with art, that it doesn't really become art or music until you share it sure. with another person. Yeah. Because when it's in a vacuum, yeah, it's still music and it's art. But it's not, it's like if you created this incredible meal and no one ever ate it. Yes. Yeah. Then why... It's nice that you created it, but when people consume it and go, oh, I like this, and then another person goes, yeah, but I like this, Absolutely. because people are different. Yep. We're not all the same. So it's that combination of, I mean, there's a reason why Bob Dylan and Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix and whoever, you know, are loved by millions and millions of people. Millions of people have shared sensibilities. Sure. Right? But that doesn't mean we're all the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so that's the sign of a great artist is that they, and that brings us back to pop. What is pop? You know, pop means you can communicate to a mass audience in a way that they understand and connect to. Yeah. But at the same time, there's something about it that allows um, the individual nature of the artist and the listener to come together. Uh, if I'm not sounding too highfalutin. No, you're not at all. You know, it's a connection. You know, we all want to connect, don't we? Everybody wants to connect with each other, with something. And, you know, um, that's, that's what, that's what everyone's looking for. And I find that on this album. So it's great to speak to you about it. Really good. It's lovely. Well, Steve, thank, I can't thank you enough, really. It's wonderful to meet you and talk to you, and your positive words about the record really mean so much to me. And I have to tell you that I played your little the short review from my wife, and I said, I love this guy. I listen to this. It's so great. And he's in England, and she goes, and she's Irish. And she goes, um, I mean, she's from America, but she's yeah. of Irish descent. And she goes, now you have to forgive me. She goes, Oh, is he in Manchester? Yes. Like, as a joke. And I go, well, let me look. <laughs> yes, I, I am. Go, he is. He is in Manchester. Yes, I ha yes. But I've been, all, you know, I'm a bit of a hybrid. I'm all over the place. So I'm Nottingham and Manchester and, and all sorts of things. 
and that's that's great. I'm a patchwork, so that is great. And I'll 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 put this podcast out tonight. I think I want to wow. I want to get it oh, out there. Well, I look forward to the link, and then I can share it all over. Fantastic, and I yeah, I'm, I'm Such a pleasure. I, I may well really a pleasure. I may well podcast. Yeah, I'll have a look at the at the at the tracks and podcast that as well because it's. I want to get the word out because more people should hear it. Well, that's thank you so much. And as I said, save something for me is one that you know I had high hopes for. It's always been very special to me. Mm. It's one that we've actually been playing for a long time since I wrote it about fifteen years ago. It's one of the few that gets played, and it always goes over so well. And it's just an interesting. I mean, in a way, it's a um, uh, condensed version of what the whole album is about. Because right. save something for me. It's the simplest request. It's just yeah. don't forget about me. You know, like yeah. I'm, I'm here. You know, just save a little bit for me too, because I need it. Absolutely. And everybody, and everybody does. Yes. Like we all need, we all need that. Absolutely. And I think that's, and I think that's why this song goes over with people because they, they, they can relate. Who can't relate to that? Quite you right. Know? Quite right. And 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 you're going to get quite a lot of that, I suspect, in the in the very near future because the album's so great. It's it's, <laughs> it's wonderful to speak to you. Thank you for taking the time to chat. It's lovely. Oh, thanks so much, Steve. You're the greatest. No. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I'll, I'll speak to you on Twitter, no doubt, but um, I'll, I'll get on to doing this tonight. And thank you for chatting. All right. I look forward to the next one. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.